the question becomes, do you build a rich set of cloud companies that benefit from this? Can cloud players manage to capture enough of this growth and turn it into their enterprise value? Or will it all accrue to the cloud? Will foundation model companies become the new cloud provider or a new category of things? Or will they be subsumed by cloud? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Deep Learning with Poly AI, the only podcast that willfully ignores the fact that two real humans are conversing with each other about the virtue of automated phone calls. Today, we'll be talking a little bit about what we saw coming out of Dev Day, a huge day. I think it rocked quite a lot of AI companies, certainly people in our space, people outside of our space, and I think it really injected a lot of excitement into the AI universe. So I'm here with Nicola, CEO and co-founder of Poly AI also a PhD holder from Cambridge in machine learning and natural language understanding. All right, let's get into it. So I think before we start talking about Dev Day, we should probably do just a really quick recap of what came out of it. And I'd say from maybe not from biggest to smallest, but I'll start with the biggest one. GPT-4 Turbo and the reduced costs that were associated with it. A huge announcement, I think massive impact for developers. We'll talk more about that. Also reproducibility, so consistent model output. The GPT marketplace, this idea that you have an app store for GPTs in themselves, it's really exciting stuff. And then also some new TTS capabilities, stuff that has absolutely no impact or interest to a company like ours, and some copyright shielding things. So talking about OpenAI basically being able to protect its users from copyright infringement and issues. All right. All right. Nicola, anything that you'd add to that? before we start talking, before we get into no, it? No, I think, I think it's actually really interesting just like in terms of OpenAI and their ability to ship, continuously ship and just surprise people with how much work they're doing. And Sam Moulton says the talent density they've got, it's really impressive, right? I think they're leaving a lot of like other foundational model companies in the dirt behind them. And it's really impressive. It's really cool. I think the scope of their vision is slowly evolving. There was a bit of an Apple-esque attitude to all of it, which is yeah. like weird one mixed together with a dev day targeted at developers. So I think there's a lot of like language for mixed audiences there, but it's good. I think it like reflects the scope of their ambition. Yeah. Awesome. I actually, I'm, I'm wondering how many employees OpenAI actually has right now, but we just saw from one of our friends, a VC researcher that just put out this report. And one of the sections was literally OpenAI reveals itself as the next big tech giant. And I think we're seeing that to be the case. So with respect to Dev Day, who do you think is losing sleep over these announcements? Who do you think is really worried right now? Well, I think we have to go through like things one by one to see what, what it means for different groups, right? I think like the obvious gauntlet, say, to 11 Labs with making the next kind of like generation of text-to-speech that much cheaper, that's definitely there. And I think that the quality, despite their excitement there, like I don't think the six voices they released are as good as some of the stuff that 11 Labs mm -hmm. have. But then I think the really exciting bit is really GPT-4 Turbo. And, yeah. you know, you can put 300 pages of uh, content into a prompt, right? So I think for a lot of people building all sorts of different things, the need, the need for a database just like disappears because 300 pages is a lot of content, right? I don't think I could repeat 300 pages of anything back to you. Mm -hmm. you years to learn it by heart. Yeah, no, it is incredible. I, I think another piece of this too is all of the, the companies that were building things that were really more feature-esque than company-esque on top of OpenAI, on top of ChatGPT. Um, so what we talk about is thin wrapper companies versus thick wrapper companies. OpenAI basically looked them in the face and dared them to go bigger 
or or die, basically. Would you yeah, agree with that? Yeah, it's really, really hard for people that are like really close to that thing. There's a whole mountain of companies that have raised money to make it a bit more enterprise ready, a bit more reproducible. They're talking about things that frankly have gotten like a bit boring, right? Yeah, we know that deep learning models are a bit of a black box, right? That you don't have fine grained controls. They're probabilistic models. That's okay. I think what we're seeing here is that these guys are moving at a speed where a lot of that low-hanging fruit that maybe someone was hoping to build a little bit of a motor around won't get to be there because the water level has risen, reached that moat and flooded that and kept going. I think the other thing they're really doing well is continuing to give the market a firm belief that they will be that supplier of this kind of technology because the cost reductions are just fantastic, right? And if it continues at this scale, then we'll talk of different models that you have to train, make them smaller, mm. more efficient. Well, why? And I think that when cloud started, a lot of people felt that um, they might at scale still benefit from having their own data center. And they were all pretty much wrong. Yeah, maybe for some security, if you absolutely need, if you want the onus to be on you to guarantee yeah. that security and stuff, maybe you still want to do it, right? Maybe you're a intelligence agency or something of that kind. But if you're not, chances are that the leading player in the field is going to have more resources than you to make the whole thing safe, scalable, more stable, et cetera. I was at another event here, here in San Francisco yesterday, and someone mentioned the figure of 4% of added GDP growth to the US economy over a period of the next 10 years that they expect to see from generative AI. And that's higher than the comparable figure for cloud was two and a half to three percent. I think that shows the stuff that hmm. can be built on top of this is really fascinating. I was listening to another to another example yesterday, and someone managed to reproduce Angry Birds by having an interaction, five hundred back and forths, a GPT, kind of starting from a conversation around it, describing it, all the way to getting the code that runs Angry Birds, right? So I think it just shows you the acceleration in the ability to innovate and to do things that were previously unthinkable. So I think really that whole developer angle and what it does for them. The other part of just who's being disrupted, if we think about companies that were like, hey, explainability, reproducibility, right? So the addition of the seed parameter and the release of log probabilities, so like knowing the, how likely something that model had produced is. That's really good because it allows you to do things that behave similarly every time. And that's a big part of enterprise readiness. It's a minimum precondition. It's not the only yeah. thing, but it's really important. I think that it's all really interesting, including like the marketplace idea and, and all of that. Well, you, you just did mention an interesting stat, which was comparing kind of the cloud growth to the AI growth, like what GPT is going to add or, or generative is going to add. And I'm curious about what you think the perspective is of the cloud companies uh, on that. Like, how are they? Are they shaken up by these types of announcements and the lowered cost and the things that sort of make them less adoptable? Okay, I mean, obviously Satya Nadella is counting dollars in the background because they moved and they bet on the right horse. <laughs> I think we continue to see Google lag, not produce nearly as fast as a company that had the first more advantage like them should have. Uh, the question becomes, do you build a rich set of cloud companies that benefit from this? Can cloud players think of your kind of like market favorites, think of a Datadog, a Palantir, Classian, all of these companies, will they manage to capture enough of this growth and turn it into their enterprise value? 
or will it all accrue to the cloud? Will foundation model companies become the new cloud provider for a new category of things, or will they be subsumed by cloud? And there, again, we go back to the one player behind all of them, NVIDIA, who will definitely profit because they're oh, yeah. playing all sides. Now the question there are just who gets to keep the margins and control the distribution of the entire thing, what role open source has to play. I think open mm-hmm. source is the second player. And I think the excitement of the whole community around everything happening on that front is huge. And it should be because I don't think clear number two exists. Of the people losing sleep, I think it's probably all foundational model companies but OpenAI here. Because yeah, sure. we've got a, we've got someone who really looks like they're going to be a winner for many years to come. Yep. Yep. That's for sure. And when you say open source, you're not talking Llama, right? No, no. All of that stuff. Okay. Just, like, that's a model and like, we'll have more things and this will evolve, right? And I think that everyone's expectation is that that's really what you need. And some people will tell you that like the internet, which ended up running mostly in open source stuff, many things built with generative AI may end up running on these things as well, like cutting out the end supply. Who knows? I think it's getting very interesting because of all of these applications, not all require the same level of compute. And you have to think forward to a world where these models have much greater capacity, right? And as we increase compute and improve the training and do everything else to to increase their capabilities, if we just look at like the raw, let's say, intellect of these things, like you don't need it. Like you don't even need GPT-4 for everything. I think a lot of people are excited about GPT-3.5 Turbo and the decrease, further decreases in costs there. So it'll be a trade-off. And I think for a lot of those things, people may want to run it on their own. And cloud providers will probably want them to run their own stuff so that more of the value again accrues. Yeah. Um, but you know, you still see OpenAI talking about their custom models and really freely offering their professional services to the highest bidder to help. I see that. Yeah. Like it's ambitious. I think they're shooting at developers, they're shooting at end applications, they're shooting at creators online, they're shooting towards like large enterprises that have their own committed instances and they're offering to do work there just to increase their stickiness. Because mm-hmm. if you about that, Google is doing the exact same thing, trying to stay the number two player. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk about voice for a bit, since that's something obviously Poly AI has a big stake in and a lot of experience in. A few podcasts ago, we had Yen, our COO, on, and he talked a little bit about how oftentimes new technology exists and comes in on the fringes of things. Like the small mom and pop shops might be able to go full force at adopting something that looks like an open AI built voice assistant. What do you think about this? Does this a new announcement, does this make it more likely that these small businesses are building for themselves? Does it make them more likely that they're going to be pushed into companies that are able to offer this as like an actual service? What do we think this does? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like what a small company is an interesting question, right? So if you think about like, mom and pop shop, like restaurants, stuff like that, are they going to go and build stuff here? Well, yeah. it's definitely become a lot easier for them to do it, but no, they won't because it's mm-hmm. still like a very complex technical challenge that requires integration with their booking systems, with their telephony stack, still quite a bit of work, right? Does it make it easier for people all around to build things with LLMs and push out like MVPs of their voice assistants? Absolutely. Is everyone going to be offering this? And are we going to have a cacophony of different... The same six voices? (laughs) Yeah. I think the one thing that made PolyAI really take off that I didn't expect when we started was the fact that we crafted a new voice for every client. It just from text and voice here, a Scottish voice there, 
we got to a very large set of clients using very different things that I couldn't have imagined before, right? Different tones, emotions, sentiments, speed, style, slang. People care about this. And I think mm-hmm. if you care about user experience, the, the voices that we heard from OpenAI are not even scraping the surface. Are they functional? Can they serve like a wide audience? Yeah. But so could any text-to-speech model before. So I don't think they're really rocking the voice world. Whisper yeah. is a nuclear model. It's like big. Its accuracy is okay. But it's not the kind of shift that LLMs offer in terms of everything that people are doing with them. And when it comes to text-to-speech, I think that we're seeing movement. But I think like for those looking to just play with text-to-speech, I think Eleven Labs is still superior in terms of quality, if not cost. So yep. I think the interesting kind of like micro conflict to see play out between those. Yeah. And they're not the only ones. There are many other players. Sure. Sure. And and then for large businesses, so the other end of like the mom and pop shop, the people who are willing and do have teams and resources that can be deployed to building these types of things, they just got a lot of access to do this with assistance API. Like what what can they do with those six voices? What can they do that would still be impressive? Does this affect any enterprise sellers? of voice assistance. Yeah, so I think like when you look at the majority of excitement there, I think that it really isn't aimed so much at voice. And when they talk about multimodality, they're going through the same kind of like traps many of the Google demos had. I don't know how many times we're going to see someone also randomly speaking to a voice assistant, but where would be good, where would be a good place to have pizza in my neighborhood, right? <laughs> that just comes back to like technologists talking about problems they'd like to work on rather than the problems that people really have, right? I think a few other things that they announced are just more about democratizing the ability to do a lot of things with LLMs. The function calls got more advanced and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's a lot to unpack and we'll see how people use it. I think that we'll see an acceleration for sure. More than anything, I think we'll see companies emerge to cover small use cases with these Mm -hmm. models. But then at the end of the day, they still have to be companies, right? They have to have quality pack product that has a standalone future, right? And either they'll manage to do it, and they will, I'm sure, in many different markets. And in others, you'll just have the cloud and OpenAI rising towards the application layer and consuming everything. But I think that in terms of like raw capabilities here, the biggest thing we see is that controllability and reliability aspect, the seed function, which kind of allows you to get the same behavior every time. And maybe just for the audience that is not familiar with the terminology, the seed parameter in a random function is set so that the first number you generate is always the same number, and then the random sequence follows a certain pattern. So here, one big frustration for people using LLMs was that the output was so probabilistic and that they couldn't do that. I think this will have a big impact on people wanting to get somewhat predictable behavior. Yeah. Uh, Does predictable behavior mean that it's also interrogable, like that you could actually look at it and see what's happening? No. Okay. So in terms of... So log probabilities tell you more about the nature of the output. So like the thing that was generated, like how likely it was and because it's a, a sum of the probabilities of all generated things rather than a product. And yeah, I think that has a bit of an impact on just like knowing how confident to be, like whether you want to believe the output or maybe you want to run it again. Because at the end of the day, you just got one like sample out of the distribution. Right? So if you got something that's quite unlikely, you may want to run it again and get something that's a bit more of a likely output mm-hmm. sequence. But sometimes you want that unlikely one because you're looking at it for creativity, for something interesting, right? Sure. But it will give people a tool to use in trying to get 
to build a better application in the end. But in terms of just like interpretability and like why, like ground rules, facts around why it says something, where it's basing that information from, I don't think that anything announced this time has, they're working on it and they're constantly trying to make it better. And I think that those that use OpenAI LMs often have seen this in practice, right? Like the model is evolving and getting better. But maybe one thing that is interesting is like the whole kind of like JSON mode where you will get like output in JSON format always. One thing that a lot of people playing with GPT have found is that it's just sometimes a bit disobedient around like, hey, I want this structure of an output. And then out of, it just gives you something else, right? And like a very firm Boolean control over yeah. it must be a JSON, which is like this data format that you can use to pass information around. It's a standard. That's useful. I think that just like addresses like something that clearly you know, to a PM at OpenAI was a feature request that had uh, a lot of pluses. Yeah, totally. So I didn't see a whole lot around their safety announcements, but did they make any changes that would make them make it a little bit more secure for the enterprise? Did they address that? Well, I think that they're looking at usage. They made some announcements around rate limits, mm-hmm. but that's really not to do with safety. I think this really isn't a long-term... Pro- well, s- s- safety is different from just like reliability and stuff. I think that... Sure. That whole piece around custom models for large enterprises and stuff, that's something that we know that OpenAI has already been doing with a lot of companies. It's not very public, but it's there and it's happening. And they're signaling to the world that they would like to do more of it. But, you know, with 500 people, you can only do so much. And I think that I don't know anyone who's not impressed with just how much they're putting out there right now. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, I believe we are at time, but this is this was probably the talk of the town if Slack was a town for Poly AI when it came out. It was just, it's great to have a recap. It's great to chat through it. And I'm sure it'll continue to come up in future podcasts. Yeah, I think this was definitely something this week. I think for next week, we've got our, our customer conference. We're excited about that and yeah. announcing some of the stuff that is leveraging a lot of this kind of material and other advances in deep learning that, that we've been pushing through. Thanks for being on with me, Nicola, and looking forward to the next one. Until next time. <laughs>